Please open your Bibles to Ephesians, 2, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 976. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Scripture is saying to the church. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. We have had full services the last couple of weeks. Last week, I... Uh, dispensed with my introduction. I'm not going to do that this week, but rather I am going to go as fast as my Georgia drawl will allow me. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would um, bless the reading and the proclamation of your word, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. We ask in his name. Amen. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, we are working our way through the book of Ephesians, and uh, I recommend that you have a copy of the Scriptures opened in your lap. You'll be able to follow along so much better if you have that. Um, it's on page 976 in your pew Bibles. So I read something recently that happened at a Christian high school where a theology teacher drew a heart on one side of the whiteboard and a brain on the other side of the whiteboard. And then he said, the heart and the brain are as divided as the two sides of this whiteboard. The heart is where we go for religion. The brain is where we go for science. Well, this, of course, is stinking thinking. Uh, it comes from Immanuel Kant, the 18th, 18th century philosopher who drew a division uh, in life between the sacred realm and the secular realm. According to Kant, religion and personal morality, well, that belongs in the sacred realm while science and politics, economics, things like that belong in the secular realm. And that division has been broadened in the last few decades. Now people speak of the division of between uh, public and private. So the big institutions such as the government, academia, uh, large corporations, well, these are all in the public square, the private square or private sphere uh, includes the family, the church, personal relationships, and such. The public sphere claims to be scientific and value-free, while the private sphere, they say, is the realm of personal choice. Well, let me be clear. These uh, divisions are artificial uh, this is not a biblical world and life view. Uh, rather, I think these divisions have been created, and certainly they are used for the purpose of telling the Christians to go sit over in the corner 
and don't bother the science, don't bother the academics. You Christians can do your thing, but keep it private. And for the most part, sadly, Christians have acquiesced. We have complied with the world's instructions, and we've sat in the corner. But as was always inevitable, um, the public sphere is trying to take over the private sphere as well. Who didn't see this coming? Uh, We are being told what we can say or not say. We are told what we can think or not think. What is approved for a person to believe or not believe? And um, we're feeling the pains of that uh, right now as we see our, um, our freedoms eroding. What can we do about it? Can it be reversed? Has the, the tidal surge of secular power been so great uh, this past few years that it will never recede? I'll tell you, there's no easy answers, but I want to remind you this morning that this state of affairs is not outside of Christ's control or His concern. We're suffering as a society, and Christ is indeed concerned about it, and I hope you will see this morning that He has sufficient power to do something about it. So last week we considered God's power at work in us. That, and we, we saw last week that that is the same power which, um, raised Christ from the dead. You, so you see in verses 19 and 20, uh, from last week, um, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. So Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us because we have the Holy Spirit who uh, raised the Lord Jesus uh, from the dead. Verse 20 goes on to say that Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. You see that in verse 20? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, um, Christ is highly exalted. That's what this is telling us. When he says he's seated at the Father's right hand, Uh, He is highly exalted. He is at this moment seated at the Father's right hand. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. At the Father's right hand, Christ is exalted above all created powers. And he is not just above. It says here in our passage that he is exalted far above all powers. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. So Christ is exalted not only 
over all physical created things. He's also exalted over all spiritual powers, whether they be evil powers like Satan and the, and, and his demons or, uh, even above angels. Uh, he is exalted above all earthly powers and nothing or no one will surpass him in this age or in the age to come. I think our politicians like to think that they are higher than everybody, that no one and nothing can come uh, close to their regal authority and power. Well, I've got news for them. The Lord Jesus is above all. I'd like us to pause for a moment and glance over at chapter 2, verse 6. We read in chapter 2, verse 6, the middle of a sentence, says, and, um, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So it, we were raised up with him. Who is the him here? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are then seated with him. Where is Christ seated? At the Father's right hand. Therefore, where are we seated positionally? Because we are united to Christ. We're right there with Him in the heavenly places. Um, and notice that this is a present reality. From the moment you were born again, you were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Most Christians in, most Christians in the first century suffered financial ruin because of their faith in Christ. Many were banished from their families. Any standing that they had in society was often lost. There was no social net uh, in the first century, no, nothing like welfare or disability. There wasn't even homeless shelters. Most of us have not suffered like that. We've not endured that amount of loss because of our testimony uh, of our faith in, in Christ. But what a... What an encouragement it must have been for them to hear that they had a secure position in Christ. No matter what their future held, and for many of them, their future uh, held persecution. After the mid-60s A.D., on into uh, the year 90 A.D., and a little bit beyond that, there was this intense persecution of the church. Many of the people that Paul is writing this letter to suffered that persecution. But because they knew that they were in Christ and that their position was secure in Him because they were seated with Christ in the heavenly places, they could say no to the temptations to fall back from following Christ. They could say no to the alluring course of the world. Paul is telling them that they have a position and they have a life that is secured in heaven, not on the outskirts of heaven, not on the suburbs, but a place in heaven at God's right hand because they are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's as if Paul is telling them, if God is for you, who can be against you? This same truth applies to you all with equal force. 
Because you belong to Christ, you are seated with Christ at the Father's right hand. You, like everyone seated around you, is facing temptations, anxieties, hardships, health issues, and probably financial strains. And you look into the future, and the future looks uncertain, maybe even unhopeful. I want to counsel you, before you make your plans to tackle the future or to wrestle against ongoing temptation in your life, I want to counsel you to spend time thinking about your position in Christ and how secure it is that you are in Christ and Christ's grip on you is unbreakable. Meditate upon that. Think about how close you really are to Jesus Christ, even when you don't feel especially close to Him. Because regardless of your feelings and your emotional state, the objective, unbreakable fact that if you are in Christ, you are seated uh, in the heavenly realms with Christ, is, is a fact that you can hang on to even when you feel like you're not able to hang on to anything else. Young people, i got a lot of young people here. I want to especially address address you this morning as well as uh, our young people scattered throughout the congregation. Um, You have many paths before you. You know, many different choices as to what you'll do in life, what what uh, career path, who you'll marry, um, where you'll live. You've got a lot of those questions yet unanswered. Uh, so you've got all these different variables, all these different ways you can go. Most of us old fogies have long since chosen our path and can't cannot easily change our directions. And I'm not talking about spiritual direction but career paths. So I want to challenge you and encourage you to think about your position in Christ as you map out your life choices that will direct your future life. Think about your future knowing that you are secure in Christ, that you are seated with Him in the heavenly realms, and that nothing can change that. And use your imagination to see how secure and, um, how, or how your secure and exalted position in Christ can inform your decision making process. It may take, it may mean a good decision that you had before you becomes a great decision where you leave a mark for the kingdom of God because you've sat down and you've used your imagination. What does it mean for me as a young person? that I am secure in Jesus Christ and I can march into the future knowing that He is for me, so who can be against me? Whatever God leads you to do, do it for Christ knowing that your, your future is secure in Him. I think a lot of times we make decisions trying to minimize uh, possible outcomes. And uh, I'm, I'm saying, because you're in Christ, you're freed 
to take some chances uh, for the Lord Jesus. Paul is not content to tell us that Christ is exalted over all. He also tells us that everything is exalted. I'm sorry, everything is in subjection to him. Uh, so look at verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So Christ is the master over all powers, over all institutions, over all rulers, even over all peoples. And everything is in subjection to him. But then you've got Joe, Joe Pagan strutting around, thumbing his nose at everything that is decent that God has made. He's exalting himself in his own mind over those hayseed Christians. He believes that he is his own God. Little does he know Christ rules over him whether he believes in Christ or not. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out something uh, to me that I had not considered. He says that Christians can spend so much time looking to what Christ will do in the future in terms of his second return and, you know, when will it be, what will happen. Uh, he says we can get so focused on that that we forget the present and completely under, underestimate the present position of the Lord and His people. His point is that Christ has already received His power and authority to use for His purposes. Christ is not just up in heaven passively sitting by as things unwind, as things move forward. He is actively present and he is exercising his power and authority right now. Remember Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christ has finished his work as our sacrificing priest, he sacrificed himself on the cross. He offered his body on the cross for our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God for his people. He purchased a redemption for us that is full and complete. He has poured out his spirit uh, to unite his people to himself. He has given us that same power that raised him from the dead because he has sent his Holy Spirit to make our heart his home. All that is yours. All that and more is yours if you entrust yourself to him. And now he, he is using his present authority and power to accomplish his purposes. Look at verse 22. What does his purposes and power, what is it centered upon? He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Christ is exercising his cosmic sovereignty for the good of the church. Christ is bringing all things under his headship and he is doing it in or through and for the church. Christ is exercising his authority and his power through the church. 
Let's not underestimate the importance of the church. He is not conquering the world through political power or through some grand marketing scheme, but rather through the ministry of local congregations spread around the world that produce Christians who have a self-denying mutual love for one another and a growing purity and holiness. Christ is changing the world. He is exercising his world transforming power because these believers are being prepared uh, for service in his kingdom through the ministry of the word and their mutual fellowship um, uh, in and among each other. So Christ works in the church so that he can work through the church. The church is Christ's primary instrument of uh, here on earth to bring glory and honor to himself. Right here in verse 22. Now let's look at this last verse. I'll try and be quick. Verse 23. In fact, I'll, I'll get a running start on it by reading verse 22 again. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What this is saying is Christ loves the church because it's his own body. Remember in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 where Paul is talking about marriage and he's talking about the husband's love for the wife. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. The church is Christ's body, and he loves his body. He cherishes his body. He cherishes and nourishes his body. In that passage, he also calls the church his own bride. That's how much he loves the church. Jesus loves the church, and he is unequivocally committed to her. And notice that little, that last little phrase, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? Well, Christ is not only the church's head, he is also the church's fullness. He is her life. Christ is our life. He is the life that flows through the church, making her fruitful and making her powerful. The only organization on earth that is filled with Christ is his church because it is his body. That relationship between Christ and the church is special. This means that the church is not just a social organization. We are absolutely dependent upon Christ because we look to Him to be filled. We look to Him to be powerful. We look to Him to do what He calls us to do. That means that we must be a praying church and we must be a church that is eager to submit to His rule over us. Sometimes it's tempting to substitute busyness uh, for the power of the Spirit. You know, we think we've got to be active. We've got to be doing something. But then we all, maybe we should ask, are we praying? Are we leaning upon the Savior as we go about doing our activities? 
not all busyness is spirit-filled or spirit-directed busyness. Sometimes it's a poor excuse for what's most important. Let us not live below the privileges that Christ has given us as his body. Sinclair Ferguson says the church is the community which is Christ in whom God's fullness dwells, now indwells, filling it up as it were with his presence, flooding it with his grace, conforming it, conforming it to his image until it is filled with his likeness. The world tells us to go sit over in the corner, stay out of the public's business, can you see how backwards that is? How utterly opposed to this passage we've been looking at this morning? We've started doing something that we haven't advertised too much around the church. A group of us, led by Sylvester Pittman, is going to the mall food court, uh, I think every other Thursday, for, for Bible study. We hold a Bible study right there in the middle of the food court. And before we study, we go around to the tables and invite the people around us to join our Bible study. Uh, it's been interesting to see the reactions, uh, pretty welcoming reactions. Uh, not too many people have come. We had one gentleman come and visit with us. Um, but that's one gentleman that we would have, we met that we would otherwise not have met. So, um, it's a little intimidating, but it's encouraging to remember that this is Christ's universe, and He is the head over all things for the church. We're not going to just sit in a corner. Let's pray. Lord, bless uh, Your Word to Your people's hearts. Build us up in faith. Encourage us knowing that You are the Lord. If there is anyone here who is not a believer in Christ, I pray that You would use Your Word by Your Spirit and bring them to the Lord Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen.